I totally forgot I made cookies for us today. It's Friday, April 6th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Paul Peters, Master's Student in Civil Engineering and Library Hostage, and with me today are contributing editors at Dutch News, Gordon Derek, who is also an aspiring skateboarder, and Molly Quell, our very own internationally acclaimed expert on dead animals. Gordon, why are you trying to learn how to skateboard? I'm not trying to learn how to skateboard. That's You've not what it said on your Facebook me. page. That's not no, what happened was I was just um, on my way back from a run one morning this week. And I, um, on a skateboard? Not on a skateboard. From was, a skateboard? I was going past... My, I was not on any skateboard at any time. I'd like to make this clear. Because <laughs> I, I went past my neighbor's front door. My neighbor was coming out of his front door and he had a skateboard with him. And I thought, well, he's got a son of about 12. So I assumed the skateboard's for the kid on his way to school. And then I realized the kid wasn't there. So I just ran round to my front door, which is about four doors along, and looked back. And sure enough, I turned around. My neighbour, who was about four, about my age, so mid-40s, got on the skateboard himself. <laughs> so you were very envious of this. And Not in the slightest. No, no, no. I just now think, you formed the skateboard group with, uh, with the two neighbours. I just kind of think, if you're going to have a midlife crisis, do it properly. Get a motorbike. Or, <laughs> or, 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 yes. Get a or a blonde mistress. Don't just go, right, go to work on a skateboard. Something motorised, yeah. yeah. So, Paul, why is the library holding you hostage today? Uh, well, it's exam weeks ago. Again in the library so uh, I've been stuck there for the last week and well you know the building it's uh, it's concrete and it's uh, basically underground it's basically Hitler's bunker but with <laughs> more books and less despair <laughs> I don't know there might be less books and more despair <laughs> so uh, yeah so I've been uh, sitting there all week and in fact this morning before we, uh, we started recording this podcast I went to the library when it opened I put my stuff there claimed the desk came back here to uh, record the podcast so after this uh, I will be uh, heading back to the library again right. and I have a spot have you hung a towel on the back of your seat to make sure that did uh, you use one of those little it? card things that the library the towel cards the they towel called cards, it yeah. Yeah. no I didn't no. I don't want anyone on my spot it's my spot <laughs> and mine alone <laughs> And uh, yeah, Molly, <laughs> uh, you are an internationally acclaimed expert on dead animals. I am. Please fact, tell us everything yeah. about this. Because uh, I'm slightly sociopathic and like to murder things. No, that's not true. <laughs> but I wrote a, an uh, article this week for Atlas Obscura uh, about the Dota Dira Metin Verhal exhibition in the Rotterdam Natural History Museum, which we've discussed many times, many times. I think, <laughs> on this many, podcast. Yeah. yeah, we should call this the Dead Animal Podcast. Yeah, yeah we yeah, really in fact, in fact, why aren't they sponsoring us? Yeah, they should. Yeah, they should they sponsor should. us. Yeah. yeah. So I wrote an article about the uh, the piece this week that was that our editor at Dutch News is very annoyed because it, it's already higher up in the Google rankings than the Dutch News article about this exhibition oh, from a yeah, few years yeah, yeah. ago. This week we'll tell you why a Dutch dick lawyer was sentenced to jail in the United States, what the latest updates are in the international criminal investigation on flight MH17, and why the Amsterdam police are mad at supermarkets. In our discussion we'll try to answer the question if there should be a limit to the freedom of speech. I'm only Paul's speech. The four coalition parties decided the law that will extend the powers of security services will be changed following the rejection of the law in the referendum on March 21st when 48.8% voted against it. Opponents of the law dubbed it the Sleepnet or Dragnet law. The services will have to direct data collections more towards individual people than at random. Additionally, the intelligence agencies need to meet stricter requirements before they can share raw data with foreign services, and the three-year period services are allowed to store data will possibly be reduced as well. The NOS reports the coalition parties are confident the changes of the law will take away an important part of the objection of the voters. 
So basically what the cabinet is trying to do here is try to change the law without really changing the substance of it yeah. to kind of placate the people who um, voted against it. But on the other hand, if they're now saying it should be focused more on individuals rather than this sort of catch-all uh, situation, then that's kind of more moving back towards just a more kind of updated version of uh, the law we have right now. Yeah, yeah, but isn't that what the main criticism was? They said, well, we don't need this slave net law. We only want an updated version of the yeah. current law. But the question is, are the voters happy with this if this is a purely democratic process then they should change the law or should they should make the changes and then put it to a vote again to ask the voters if they uh, are agreeing with this law now or or not so we just have this never-ending situation where we just constantly keep going back to the people yeah, yeah. never like never-ending referendum never-ending referendum never-ending yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> um paul there's other referendum news isn't there which is just endlessly irritating yes. and hilarious it's it's truly a referendum yeah. um yes and we might get a new referendum um shockblock geenstel wants a referendum on the donor law that passed a month ago that says that anyone in the netherlands is automatically an organ donor unless otherwise stated they managed to collect 23,000 signatures in two days which is enough to formally request a referendum at the electoral council if this is approved they have to collect 300,000 signatures in six weeks just in time before the uh, referendum law will formally be scrapped uh, somewhere in June. But the big question is, will they actually get uh, those signatures before the law is scrapped, isn't it? Because the, the, there's now kind of a race against time. for the if, if actually the law abolishing the referendum law is published before that deadline, then... The, I'm not sure how this, how this technically or legally well, works, if, yeah. if, because they already put the formal process of asking for a referendum, they already started it, so... Does that mean that if they, so they have managed, to conclude it? Yeah, uh, or yeah. So I don't know how this uh, technically uh, works, legally speaking, but I'm sure they, they have some lawyers who uh, will have an idea on that. But uh, also the date where the law will be scrapped is not set yet. No, it's somewhere in June, or that's the exactly that's what they expect. And that's more or less going to coincide with the end of the six-week period that they have to collect the signatures in. Yeah. So I'm not sure how this legally works, but uh, it's going to be a mess. Basically, it's going to be a mess. Yeah. yeah. Well, unsurprisingly, <laughs> it has to do with a referendum in Geen style, ergo. It will be a mess. <laughs> Dutch lawyer Alex van der Swan is currently the only man serving a jail sentence in connection with the FBI's investigation into Donald Trump's link with Russia. But he's unlikely to hold that distinction for very long. Van der Swan was jailed for 30 days for lying about his contacts with former Trump aide Rick Gates. The 30-year-old, London-based lawyer struck a plea deal with investigators in February, which also requires him to pay a US dollars fine. He said in court, quote, I apologise to this court, and I apologise to my wife. And since his wife, Ava, is the daughter of one of Russia's richest men, Herman Khan, that was possibly a prudent move. <laughs> yeah, and I saw that he was sentenced to, uh, to jail by the judge. Then he went to a bar to meet with his friends, and then he posed in front of a television screen with uh, CNN coverage of his conviction. Mm-hmm. And he, he, and he, had a selfie. Well, he's of, only doing yeah. 30 days in jail, and his, do- his wife is like has Russian oligarch money, which is what I usually refer to to distinguish like upper middle class people from like rich people. Like yeah. they're rich, but they're not like Russian oligarch rich. This person really is, is actually yeah. Russian oligarch rich. And um, did we learn anything from this case about the wider Trump inquiry? Not a great deal. So the case didn't imply Trump directly and the indictment doesn't mention the 2016 presidential election campaign, which of course the whole hot potato here. But uh, Fandas Fan is the 19th person to be charged by Robert Mueller's investigation. So that sort of suggests that 
maybe some of the lines of inquiry are bearing fruit. It's the first closed case. Obviously, he's now got a conviction. And Fadisvan is alleged to have made false statements while answering questions about the trial of the former Ukrainian president, Yulia Tymoshenko, and lied about when he was last in contact with Rick Gates and another man referred to as Person A. And Person A is supposed to be a long-term business associate of Gates and Robert Manafort, who ran Trump's election campaign. According to US media, Person A is also a Russian intelligence operative. So that's the chain that leads back to Trump and Russia via Manafort. And the intriguing thing here, obviously, is what consequences Fundusvan's testimony is going to have for Robert Manafort. Wouldn't it be fun if this person A, of which we think it's a code name, his actual name is person A? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just had like really screwed up parents and made him like transformer. <laughs> yeah, and his parents don't know in which hospital he was born. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Radiohead made an album about him when he was young. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I did not get that reference, but I'm sure it's funny. That's because you're a child, Paul. That's because you're a child. Finance Minister Wopke Hoekstra announced this week that he was considering three measures aimed at restoring public trust in the banking sector after the OPEP over a pay raise for ING CEO. For those who don't listen to the podcast religiously... Who, who would do that? I don't know. Maybe we have some new listeners this week, Paul. Oh, yeah. That might be possible. For those who don't listen to the podcast religiously, a few weeks ago, the board at ING voted to give CEO Ralph Hemmers a 50% pay increase. They faced an intense backlash with the public and politicians citing the pay disparity between regular workers and the CEO. Some politicians called for rules to require government approval for bank executives. We argued about this on this very podcast. You can go back and listen to the March 16th edition if you want to know more. In response, Hoekstra is considering regulations that will require executives to pay back part of their salary if the bank must be bailed out by the state, forcing executives to hold on to company shares for an extended period of time, or introducing requirements that the bank executives pay must, quote, reflect the bank's position in society, end quote. Hoekstra is looking into if these regulations are permissible under EU guidelines. A push to do something about executive pay was strengthened by the fact that insurance company ASR just approved a 35% pay increase for its executive team, despite being nationalized in 2014 and only made private again in 2016. So not a good look, huh? No. This, I, I, I think if I was someone from the communications department at ASR, I would have advised them to, to wait till the OPEF died down a little. Yeah, it's a bit of a red flag. Yeah. yeah really. Um, and what uh, does Hookster mean when he says that the pay should reflect the bank's position in society? Honestly, I don't have a clue. Yeah. Um, this is like a direct <laughs> translation of the exact wording Hookster used. I suspect that maybe what he's aiming for is like salary levels to be more in line with public institutions. The argument being that like when these, the expectation is, is that if something goes really awry the governments are going to bail these banks out because otherwise like they really take the whole economy down with them um and thus they should be maybe be operating more like a public institution rather mm. than like a totally private institution and so their salaries should perhaps be in line with something that you know is a is more of a government salary or a, or yeah. a public institution it's kind of a something thinking along similar lines of the uh, balkanender norm right where but but balkanender tried to impose this rule that uh, anyone in a position of a public uh, who is at the head of a kind of public institution like a broadcast like nos um their salary shouldn't be more than was it twice the prime minister's no salary no no it, just the prime minister's salary, salary. salary. 186,000 yeah. euros uh, a year no. yeah yeah i mean that's a tough i i think that this is a really difficult like argument to have because if this if the netherlands is the only place in the world that enforces this rule then you're going to lose really talented people to other places that can pay them. Yeah, then all our lawyers more. will go to London and uh, right. we'll try to. And then, and, then, and then get charged with uh, being involved in tr- the, the Trump election campaign. Exactly. Right. <laughs> or that they're just going to leave public sector life and go to private sector life. Because if you can make, if you can only make 186,000 euros a year, uh, you know, at a at NOS or something, but you can make, you know, 
three times that at you know Hain style you can't do that but for an example <laughs> right then like why would you stay necessarily in, in pu- you have to be really dedicated to the public sector and it, because you're only earning 186,000 and frankly that that cripples most people it does it cripples yeah. most people but I mean you know I, I, but I, I think not everyone is motivated by blind pursuit of money I don't no. think you'll still find talented people in your organization who will do the job and do it well certainly, I think. But and certainly in the case of Ralph Harmers this argument kept coming back that he'll leave but he's been he's worked for ING for 26 yeah. years He's never left. Why is he suddenly going to go because he doesn't get a fifty percent pay raise? Right. I mean, I think there's, that there's the, no evidence for it. I think the the argument. I mean, we can we can rehash the whole Ian Hay argument if we want to, but I I don't think that there was a whole lot of like validity in the pay raise that he got, and it's just a terrible look for Ian Hay. I mean, there's they just they could have done this so much better. I mean, not not to say that maybe he doesn't deserve some pay raise, but fifty percent is a huge jump, and he's already making a lot of money, and of course this makes for like terrible publicity headlines for Ian Hay. But other things, such as like capping someone's, I mean, if you cap bank executives' pay at 186,000 euros a year, you're going to lose your bank management teams from pretty much most of the banks in the Netherlands. Because why would they stay here when they can make four or five times that somewhere else? I mean, it's not just like. And they're already uh, so, so, so badly managed now. It's the best person yeah. people are leaving. Yeah. 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 These highly paid executives did, did such a good job 10 years ago. Well, you know, why on earth would we want them to leave? <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, you know, if that's the best of the best, then, then maybe we're going to be even worse off. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think that there's there's some place in this for yeah putting some sort of restrictions in place i kind of like this rule the henry ford rule which is is that you have to tie your ceo's pay to the lowest workers pay and that there's like should only it shouldn't be more than say 30 times or or 100 times or something like that 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 you can't get higher than but at that point are they not just going to outsource all their low paid functions so that they can then claim that uh, possibly uh, but at least i mean you can't outsource everything i mean you're not going to be able to outsource your at this point probably like your secretary pool and stuff so either you have to start paying your administrative assistance more or like you have to pay your you know your your ceos less like um but yeah i mean i think that this is obviously it's a thing that hoekstra hasn't they can't really figure out what the proper way to do um to do this is to both incentivize people to to stay at these companies but also to um you know not cause a whole bunch of all pef about how much they're getting paid <laughs> There's only one thing Amsterdam hates more than beer bikes, English football supporters. When the Dutch national football team played a friendly match against England on March 23rd, the city was flooded by English football supporters, most of them drunk. Police had to suspend the ban on public drinking in the red light district because there were simply too many drunken Englishmen in the area to enforce the ban. Two police stations were closed because the police were so tied up in controlling the drunken supporters that there was no manpower to staff them. In total, 140 people were arrested after drunken groups of England fans clashed with the police in the red light district. So okay, the... I have a new solution to this. Brexit? Okay. No. <laughs> Brexit. Also that. That Brexit. didn't work. You, they keep coming over. Brexit from Amsterdam. Arming prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> Concealed you can just declare, declare a state of emergency in the red light district and all registered sex workers are allowed to just shoot football fans. I mean, you can give them like paintball, like 22. It's like not something that's going to kill them, but I bet you that would We are European. We don't know what the 22 is. <laughs> this is my solution. That's your solution. Problem. More yeah. guns. Yeah, more guns. Yeah. More guns. Yeah. As an American, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> it always comes back to more guns. Yeah. 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 
Maybe they should have given a discount on uh, prostitution services. That would have like gotten them off the streets, maybe. <laughs> yeah, had them like lay down. minutes <laughs> and then to come back. Yeah, but if you're drunk enough and you sit down and then like, you know, maybe you don't get back up. And the next thing you know, there's a lot of just like passed out English fans in brothels. And um, <laughs> yeah. they're not on the streets causing havoc. Yeah. So, but Paul, there was a lot of criticism of the supermarkets in this who, who I... Have, we have not talked about it all, so I'm confused <laughs> as to why they've got their, their sullied their good name. Yeah, well, the chief uh, uh, Amsterdam police officer, uh, Pieter Jan Albersberg, he is uh, mad at the supermarkets because he says they are partly responsible for, uh, for for the drunken tourists because they stacked up beer in uh, uh, in the days before the English match, and then uh, they started selling them for cheap prices to the English tourists, uh, to the English um, football fans. So uh, he's mad at them for uh, you know making them drunk basically hmm. so, so he's mad at supermarkets for selling things to customers yes yeah. yeah well no stocking up more beer than they would usually do and the then... Dutch are so weird with capitalism yeah. like it's not we have to restrict ceo pay and we are not okay with like paying ceos too much but we're gonna we're gonna restrict beer sales over here on the like it's just anyway is there any other football news no, that, the, I can, the, that I've been forced to pay attention to? Uh, yeah, the Amsterdam Arena Stadium has finally decided to name the stadium after Johan Cruyff. Do you know who that is, Molly? Uh, he is, uh, he's like a baseball player. He's <laughs> no. a sports stick something or other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's yeah. famous for some kind of kick thing, right? Yeah, he, 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 he did his kicking stuff in America for a bit as well. So yeah. he yeah, might have come, come, come across him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Johan Cruyff is the former Ajax player and also... Football legend, yeah, absolute football legend. If you if you mention his name in Barcelona, people will cry, start you. crying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He passed away on March twenty fourth last year, and it took uh, the board of Ajax only thirty months and a big fight about money to come to the uh, decision to name the stadium after him. Yeah, and really, I think uh, a massive row about money and governance is probably the most fitting tribute they could have paid to Johan Cruyff. Investigators studying Russian radar pictures of the MH17 disaster say the missile that brought the plane down was flying too fast to be picked up on their monitors. The Russians claimed that the absence of any missile-shaped objects in the pictures supported their alternative theory that the plane could have been shot down by a fighter jet. The Dutch Safety Board's conclusion is that the plane was hit by a Buk missile fired from territory held by pro-Russian Ukrainian separatists, probably after being misidentified. How are missiles too fast for radar monitors? Uh, well, because I th this was a couple of independent experts who had a look at the pictures and they said that um, the Russian ra radar is configured in a way that kind of filters out any objects that aren't planes because they're not really looking for um, missiles and things flying around. They're trying to monitor air traffic. And a missile is quite small and flies about three times faster than a passenger jet. Mm -hmm. So they just simply filter it out. Oh, because so in the normal run of things, you know, generally speaking, they're not monitoring um, you know, skies above a war zone. They're monitoring just uh, oh, civilian okay. air traffic. Interesting. Yeah, so they're not interested in sort of little bits of... Cause, you know, other things fly around in the air like meteors and that kind of thing. UFOs. UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A man applying for a job in Amsterdam shot and killed his interviewer in what police believe is a gangland killing. Uh, the victim, Redwan Bey, is the brother of a man testifying against former criminal associates. The victim was not believed to be involved in criminal activity himself. The main suspect was arrested this week and the rest of the family has been placed under police protection. So I think you've had bad job interviews. No, I have never had a job interview that ended this this badly. I've had some bad ones, but never one that involved a, a gangland shooting. Have any of your dates ended up like this? Yeah, of course. Right. 
why weren't uh, the police protecting the family in the first place? Probably because they were so busy yelling at Albert Hine for selling <laughs> beer cans improperly. It's not clear. According to some, there were rumors circulating that the family was under threat. Apparently, the police didn't think that their lives were at risk. And there was another uh, shooting in Amsterdam this week. Uh, yeah, there were two people injured at a bar in De Pipe when a gunman opened fire on Monday evening. However, the police don't think these two incidents are related. There was another shooting later in the evening in another neighborhood, which may or may not be related. According to the police, they have no leads on the perpetrators. Basically, like the Amsterdam police, they don't know what's going on. Basically, yeah, yeah, they had to close to uh, to police uh, stations. Yeah, this is probably why. So they can't stop people getting drunk. They can't stop people shooting at each other in uh, in cafes. Uh, Honestly, Amsterdam's starting to sound like Breda. To be honest. Rob Garretsen, who set 11 goldfish free in the newly reopened St. John's Bay stream in Arnhem in January, is ordered by the city's municipality to catch the fish before April 9th. According to the municipality of Arnhem, the goldfish will lay eggs very soon and fears a plague. Garretsen will also have to catch the 100 other fish that are possibly set free in the canal by people copycatting him. There was only one problem, not a single fish was spotted in the canal for months. Despite this, the municipality still insists Garretsen has to catch all the goldfish, otherwise they will uh, hire a professional firm to do the job and send the bill to Garretsen. Garretsen started a Facebook event called Catching Invisible Goldfish, and he expects 500 people to show up on Saturday to help him catch the fish. So Molly, what are your weekend plans? (laughs) I'm going to Amsterdam, but I think I'm going to take a bulletproof vest with me. (laughs) Um, I mean, this is just... The best story that's happened this week. Like, are they? This just has to be some sort of like legal precursor to be able to send him the bill for this thing. Mm. That they have to like give him the opportunity to catch these fish because otherwise he'll order, he'll argue in court that he shouldn't have to pay the fish catcher bill, whatever those people are called, (laughs) um, because he wasn't given the opportunity to do it himself. Right? I mean, this is the only reason that this absurdity has come to fruition. Yeah. Because, to come to fish. But he's basically <laughs> asked to catch a lot of fish that um, that are probably not there. Yeah. Yeah. And, yes. and, then, and then presumably he will have to show the show the bonnetes for the fish. <laughs> for the fish. Them. Do yeah. they have to yeah. like? Does he have to like just bring in a bunch of the bodies of dead goldfish to the judge? Like here is a Tupperware <laughs> container of dead goldfish. I think so. Yeah. Or live goldfish. Because if he brings them in dead, if he murders them in the process mm. of catching them, then the Taiwan de Dira is going to be very upset. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or he can just go to the pet store, right. buy some goldfish yeah. and show it to the municipality. What's, yeah, and what's stopping him from doing that? I, I think he already had this figured out. <laughs> yeah. So he, if he, well, if he hadn't thought of it before, then uh, yeah. it's, he'll definitely do it now. If, he, if you're yeah. going to do this, though, you have to buy prostitutes in Amsterdam some guns in exchange <laughs> for the... Uh, you yeah. have to trade fish for guns. Yeah, tra- yeah. trade fish yeah. for guns. Yeah. The Netherlands is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> that is the conclusion of our podcast. Yeah. We'll be discussing whether there should be a, uh, limitations to the freedom of speech after this word from our sponsor. Do you drive or ride a bike? Are you in the train or on the train? If you're producing text in English but aren't sure of just the right wording, M Squared can help you. M Squared is a digital publications company that can help you with all of your writing, editing, and translation needs. They have a combined 20 years experience crafting the perfect document from editing books to writing website copy. If you need help with your website text, brochure, thesis, press release, and more, contact them at info at msqrd.com. 
If you are interested in reaching an international audience with your product or service, you can email to podcast at dutchnews.nl for our competitive advertising rates. In January, Imam Fawaz Jenaid said in a Facebook address that the Moroccan-born mayor of Rotterdam, Ahmed Abu Taleb, was, quote, an infidel and an enemy of real Islam. MPs who feared these words uh, could be regarded by radical Muslims as inciting violence, as Justice Minister Ferdinand Grapperhaus what could be done against the notorious imam, who made similar hateful remarks about the Islam-critical filmmaker Theo van Gogh and then-VVD MP Ayaan Hirsi Ali in 2004, and who more recently was banned from entering several neighborhoods in The Hague after preaching in an illegal mosque. Grapperhaus said he was disgusted by the statements, but added that little can be done because, legally speaking, he stays within the the boundaries of freedom of speech. The minister said that he will take a look at what can be done against radical imams, but this could mean we have to give up part of our freedom to express ourselves. Uh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's just why are you why are we giving these people attention? This is I feel the same way about the 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 Wilders uh Minder 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 thing. Like you're just you're just feeding into exactly what these people want. Like just ignore them. Like don't pay any attention to them. Just ignore it and it will go away. But the funny thing is the the, the PVV, the Forum for Democracy, and also the Faith Day, they they think that they want to restrict the freedom of, of expression. But Geert Wilders was convicted for uh, inciting hate, mm. and the, the the judge said in his in inciting his discrimination, wasn't it? Wasn't discrim- it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, discrimination. Yeah. But the judge said in his state in his uh, verdict that uh, uh, Wilders was on the boundary of the freedom of speech, and if he would go one step further, that he he would be punished. But now uh, Geert Wilders wants to draw back this mm. line of freedom of speech, meaning that he wants himself to be convicted. Basically, yeah. of course he doesn't. Of course he wants no, the freedom of, of speech not. to say what he likes about um, Moroccans, but he doesn't want it yeah. to apply in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. And that's Exactly. thing with freedom of speech isn't it everyone wants freedom of speech for themselves nobody wants freedom of speech for people who they disagree with you just end up when you have this discussion you just end up putting the government in a situation where it's supposed to deal with this extremely complicated and difficult issue in a way that like they have no capacity to actually do and you just end up in this like weird place where you have judges trying to decipher whether or not declaring that you want fewer Moroccans in the country is is inciting discrimination or not. I mean, it's clearly discriminatory speech, but I don't think that the government should go around banning people from having discriminatory feelings about stuff. And so, like, where do you exactly draw this line? And I think it just becomes such a quagmire that... You were just better off ignoring them and yeah. writing these people off as like radical idiots, basically. Yeah. I think a lot of what the discussion in the last week about this has all sort of focused on what the um, preachers said, did or didn't say, and obviously he said it in Arabic, so it had to be translated. Um, so there's all kinds of questions: was it translated properly? But it's, it's been all about the meaning of the words, and I think what that, that's that's really irrelevant. It's about the effect. It's about does he actually is there actually any evidence that there's a whole sort of army of radical Muslims who will now rise up and take action against uh, Ahmed Abu Talib as a result of this? I don't don't see that because he did it back in January and nothing happened. Yeah. And all of a sudden, two months later, and, and actually there was an assessment done um, on behalf of the mayor to see if they, he needed any extra security. And the security service at that point said no. And then two months later, they, rev- they reviewed it and decided actually now they had another look at it and they had another look at the words and the meaning and decided, oh, actually, there is a danger. Um, and then they put a report to the minister who now says he's going to look at restricting people's freedom of speech. It makes it doesn't add up. No. It doesn't it doesn't make any sense. If this man was going to incite any kind of danger towards Ahmed Abu Talib, why didn't it happen? 
happen in January. Yeah. That's what seems to imply to me that there isn't much no. of a danger in, in place here. And therefore, you know, surely it should be about really, you know, what effect do your words have rather than what the meaning or interpretation of what you say. Yeah. And I also think that the government would be a lot better off spending the resources that we are spending debating about this in Parliament and arguing about this to do things that like evidence shows actually works to prevent people from becoming radicalized. Right. That there are lots of people who sort of study this very problem and there are like things that you can do in society and as the government to try to keep people who are susceptible to becoming radicalized who are disenfranchised from society and doing so and instead we're going to argue about whether things were translated out of Arabic correctly this seems like a giant waste of time the person who's at the center of this surely is Ahmed Abintalib and he hasn't reported it to police he hasn't done anything and when he's asked about it he kind of said I just let this kind of thing wash over me yeah. I've been mayor for 13 years I don't lose sleep about it so if I'm if Amu Talib is not bothered about this man who is you know, calling him an enemy of Islam, why are whole lots of other yeah. uh, people from the Pei Fei and Fei Fei Day getting indignant and worried on his behalf? Which is somewhat ironic because yeah. the Pei Fei of course, is not normally known, is not particularly like uh, sympathetic towards the, the mayor of Rotterdam on a normal day. It's only <laughs> yeah. when, when... But when he can be used right. can as, a, as a stick yeah. to, to beat uh, you know, minority communities with, then all of a sudden he's, he's a champion. Yeah. So, so Paul, I, I demanded yesterday that you do some legal research for this, this topic because we can have a debate about the sort of practicalities and the morality of this issue, but I also think that there's like kind of a legal question. And coming from the US where freedom of speech is like really enshrined and that it's very difficult First to Amendment. restrict. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And there are no laws against hate. I mean, you can, you can stand up and say that you think that there should be less Muslims in the country. And, and it never causes things. any trouble at all, never does it? Never causes any yeah. path. No, no <laughs> But also that you could say all kinds of things. I mean, it's very difficult to prosecute people for, like, libel and slander in the U.S., saying things about people that are untrue. It's, you know, there, there's very few restrictions that are placed on speech. We take a very broad view of what constitutes speech, so that includes, like, protesting and, like, flag burning and all this kinds of stuff. But it's not quite the same here. So maybe you can, like, give our listeners a little little overview of like what kind of yeah laws are in, are in effect. Well, in the Netherlands, uh, freedom of speech is guaranteed by Article 7 of the Constitution uh, and also uh, by Article 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights and Article 15 of the International Covenant of uh, on Civil and Political Rights. Uh, but limitations are built in. Uh, for example, uh, censorship is forbidden, but in certain instances, municipalities can, for example, ban distribution of pamphlets uh, for certain hours uh, on the basis of public order. There we have the 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 Albertine uh, beer uh, situation again. Yeah. So so you, they so then in theory the the police could have banned Albert Hein from walking around the red light district and handing out pamphlets for coupons for free beer. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, and also there is a sub article three that explicitly mentions the possibility to uh, limit the viewing of uh, movies by, for example, minors Seems under the age ex- of sixteen. Extremely important. Yeah. That's in the constitution. Of course. Uh, but it also explicitly says that formal law can limit the freedom of expression. Um, so certain uh, content can be punishable by law and that's for example uh, article 137c that says that it's uh, punishable to publicly offend people for their race religion the way of life sexual orientation or disability so racism isn't uh, forbidden by constitution in the netherlands but by uh, criminal law and also there is article 137d that says that it's punishable to indict discrimination hate violence uh, to members of the above mentioned groups uh, so, and this is uh, the article under which Geert Wilders was found guilty and there are also other articles that forbid offending and indicting hate in general a common saying in the Netherlands is that freedom of speech stops where the human rights of others begin so it seems that like there are quite a few legal mechanisms already for prosecuting and yeah. dealing with people who engage in like hate 
hate speech, incitement to violence, discrimination. Because there are obviously have to be limits. You know, you, you can't go around just threatening people because uh, you know, which is also a form of speech. We all understand that. You know, that you can't do that. And uh, if you actually, I think, mobilise hatred towards a, a particular group, so they're marginalised in society, then that's not a good thing either. But we have the laws for that, don't we? And actually, you need to draw the laws quite broadly so that the courts can take a view on the facts of the individual case. If you restrict them too much, if you try and if you try and start specifying instances in advance, I think you're you're running into, pro- um, into problems. Yes, got, exactly. You, you, so I have kind of an, an opposite interpretation of this, which like this article 137C, which is the one that says it's pu- uh, punishable to publicly offend people for their race, religion, blah, 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 I think seems terrifyingly broad to me. And the reason that I have a problem with it is not necessarily that like I'm concerned that lots of people are going to be prosecuted, but, but that the law in fact becomes meaningless because so it's against the law to go out and be like i hate moroccans i think moroccans are lazy in public right so it it specifically says in public which i think is a good thing like if you want to be a racist idiot in your own home be a racist idiot in your own home but i mean everyone has been in circumstances in public where you know drunken assholes have shouted terrible things at someone or made you know remarks about some about me as a woman or like i have gay friends who have had all these things and like there no one is ever prosecuted for this so like in a way the law just becomes kind of you know, meaningless, like in this way. And it, it, I think it like serves the opposite purpose of, of creating a situation where people feel like their rights, you know, their, their rights to not be like accosted in public are, are not being protected in any way. Yeah. So it's so fake that it, uh, uh, it doesn't mean yeah. anything yeah. basically. Yeah. But it comes back to, you know, if you, if you focus too much on what, on, on what's said rather than what the consequences are, so, you know, a drunk guy in the bar shouting about, um, yeah, racist or sexist things is really unpleasant, but you can just, you just, just move away from it. It's not a problem. Whereas in, on the other hand, if say you're applying for a job and it turns out the, the manager of the company is a diehard racist and says things in meetings about, you know, I don't want to give you this job to this person because, because they're, black. Because they're yeah. black or because they're a woman. That, that's a different thing. That's got consequences for you as the the job applicant and that's I, the point where i, I think mean, the I law w- has to I protect w- people the I law w- is there basically to protect people yeah i would push back against this yeah. though i mean i do think that there is something scary about being in a bar and having someone at the bar shout you know moroccans are terrible people fuck moroccans like while you're like in this bar you know i am sure that that makes people of moroccan descent people who even like look like they might be of moroccan descent sitting in this bar feel very afraid and like that's a terrible thing to do you know i think the appropriate reaction at that point is to just toss these people out on their buy a free round for whoever was insulted yeah the bar can check the people out and if if people actually generally in that situation are in are are personally threatened yeah then yeah then you have a case to go to the police but just somebody saying vaguely I hate all Moroccans, I don't know, when he's walking out in the street um, for whatever reason. But, like, according to this, I mean, this broad law, that's, like, sort of illegal. So I think that this weird, like, who gets to decide what is going to be prosecuted and what is not creates a situation where I suspect that people who feel that they're often, like, slighted by society are, like, further slighted by the fact that, you know, sure, this hate speech a mom guy is going to get, like, prosecuted for his insane YouTube video. But this guy that lives around the corner from me who shouts nasty things at my house every day when he walks by is, like, never going to be Mm. prosecuted. And that I think creates a situation where people don't they they lack trust like in, in the government. I wish the law was more specific and that in those specific instances it was it was prosecuted more heavily. No. Then I think you would have a situation where people would 
I don't know, maybe keep their mouth shut about hating Moroccans when they're drunk in the bar. And and, and yet, and yet you, say, you, you said earlier on that you didn't think it was right to, for Kit Vilders to be prosecuted for inciting discrimination as Moroccans. Well, when a lot of Moroccans yeah, of said course. when they heard uh, Vilders say that in the um, you know, in, in the party meeting yeah. in uh, Los Downen that they felt very you know, that they felt that marginalised and discriminated yeah. them and contributed to you know that that affected their well being. So yeah. I think you actually if you find people. No, or, or rather, if if people come forward and say, you know, I've, I feel that this has affected me and marginalised me, then I think you've got a case. So it, 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 there is a difference between a drunk guy in a bar or a drunk guy in the street saying, I am Moroccans, and a guy who's a leader of a political party saying in a speech that's on television, yeah. I want fewer Moroccans in the country, and also, that can I'm going to sort it out. Yeah. That's a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah. <laughs> which which I, do, I do agree with, and that maybe we should figure out a way to hold people like CEOs of companies and politicians to slightly different standards than you hold drunk guys and in imams. a bar. Yeah, possibly also imams. I don't know. But my argument for not prosecuting Wilders is, is that you just play right into his hand of like being persecuted, quote unquote, by the system, which is exactly the same thing that's happening here, right? That this guy is making this argument that like Muslims are mistreated in the Netherlands and we are maligned and we yeah. can't say what we want and we can't practice our religion freely. And so then you have this discussion in parliament about it. And it's the exact same thing that Wilders says. And like by having, you know, we are contributing to the problem by even having this discussion, right? That like by having this conversation, and by bringing this into the spotlight, you are creating the <clears throat> Barbara Streisand effect, mm. which everyone can Google, um, yeah. and basically just like making this problem so much worse. Yeah. But Vilda says these things, and you know there are Moroccans who who actually say this contributes to their marginalization in society. Whereas this imam says you know hateful things against Ahmed Abu Talib, but Ahmed Abu Talib says I'm not bothered by this. Right. So why is we using that right. as a as a, as an argument to restrict freedom of speech, and yet we're saying Vilda is free to say hateful things towards Moroccans who actually feel this contributes to discrimination against their community. Yeah, I mean, what if English whole, football fans business. listen to this podcast and feel like we have been advocating <laughs> violence against them? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really difficult to draw these lines, and this is why like, I, I kind of get very like itchy when people start talking about restricting freedom of speech. Like, It's very hard to make these distinctions, and well-meaning and sort of somewhat intelligent which is what i'm going to count us as people can like disagree on these very points and so like how are you ever going to get like an entire parliament to agree on on you know an entire well, society, society yeah. Yeah. well that's all we have for you this week this podcast is a production of dutch news which can be found online at dutchnews.nl we will include links to everything we've talked about in the liner notes you can now send comments compliments and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl if you want to help us out you can subscribe to our feed give the podcast a rating and share it my thanks to uh, Dick Lawyer, Molly Quell and Gordon Derek. I'm Paul Peters and we'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.